Well, um, I'd like to encourage us this morning. Um, we are living in a special time, I think, a time certainly the last few generations of humans have seen the world transform in ways probably unimagined. And uh, even the last few years have not disappointed either. The world is changing and fast. It's like uh, on about like a cycle. It's about a weekly cycle. You can see the world gets a little crazier every week. And there's times I'll see stuff, I'm thinking it's a good thing we serve a uh, merciful Lord giving us and the world time to uh, repent and maybe wake up a little bit. But we need to be prepared and encouraged and have great faith um, as we carry on into the future. The Exodus event that we've been, you know, obviously we're in the middle of, and uh, the children of Israel this week are headed out across the sea. The Exodus event obviously shows that Adonai is faithful. He's going to redeem his people, do so in a mighty way. The return of the Messiah, Yeshua, will certainly seem like a second Exodus, just uh, on a more cosmic scale. It all lines up. If you were to, we're not going to go there yet, but in the book of Revelations, chapters 15, 16, you see much of the same imagery. There are painful sores people are enduring. The seas and rivers all turn to blood. There's fire. There's darkness. Um, Revelation 16, 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits that looked like frogs. They came from the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet. They are miracle-working, demonic spirits which go out to the kings of the whole inhabited world to assemble them for the war of the great day of Adonai Sefaot. It's like the Exodus event, just on a cosmic scale, all worldwide. Everything is, which is almost hard to think about because when we, the last couple of weeks when we've been reading about the plagues, are those things themselves were mind-blowing to the people. So this what is coming up, the second exodus, is going to be something that is really uh, going to be shocking and definitely uh, displays the power of Adonai. We're actually going to begin in the prophets this morning because Jeremiah speaks of this. Um, Jeremiah chapter 16, let's turn there first, page 577 in the Stearns Pew Bible, or if you have a different version of scripture, like a Tree of Life version, you could look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 16. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Jeremiah 16, verse 14, reads like this. Therefore, says Adonai, the day will come when people will no longer swear, as Adonai lives, who brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Adonai lives, who brought the people of Israel out of the land to the north and out of all the countries where he drove them. For I will bring them back to their own land, which I gave to their ancestors. <clears throat> Look, says Adonai, I will send for many fishermen and they will fish for them. Afterwards, I'll send for many hunters and they will hunt them from every mountain and hill and out of caves and in the rocks. For I see all their ways. They are not hidden from me. Their crimes are not concealed from my eyes. First, I will pay them back double for their crimes and sins because they have defiled the land which is mine and they have filled my heritage with the corpses of their horrors and abominations. Adonai, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in time of trouble. 
The nations will come to you from the ends of the earth, saying, Our ancestors inherited nothing but lies, futile idols, completely useless. Can a person make himself gods? In fact, they aren't gods at all. Therefore, I will make them know, once and for all, I will make them know my power and my might. They will know that my name is Adonai. Amen and amen to that. There is, a, there is another exodus coming. And the prophet says, people aren't, it's going to be so uh, powerful. It, you're not going to remember the first one. We'll remember it. But in comparison, of course, it's going to be powerful. And the world needs it. We should, we should be ready for that. I'm not sure the world is ready, but it needs it too. We all need cleansing and healing. But the exodus from Egypt is the foundation for that expectation of the, the second exodus. So let's turn there for a little insight. Let's go back to Shemot, or Exodus chapter 14. On page 75 is where I'm going to begin reading. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. We're back to the first Exodus here, of course. Uh, Shemot, chapter 14, verse 15, reads as follows. Adonai asked Moshe, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift your staff Reach out with your hand over the sea and divide it in two. The people of Israel will advance into the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'll make the Egyptians hard-hearted, and they will march in after them. Then, thus I will win glory for myself at the expense of Pharaoh and his army, chariots and cavalry. Then the Egyptians will realize that I am Adonai when I have won myself at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. Next, the angel of God who was going ahead of the camp of Israel, moved away and went behind them. And the column of cloud moved away from in front of them and stood behind them. It stationed itself between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was cloud and darkness here, but light by night there, so that one did not come near the other all night long. So we have this cloud here, and we talked about this last week, this separation from darkness and light. It's physical and it's spiritual. The Egyptians were in physical darkness, of course, on their side of this cloud, unable to see, and the children of Israel enjoyed light during the night on their side of the cloud. Egypt was receiving a revelation at one point, but now they're in darkness. They aren't seeing miracles anymore. They're in spiritual darkness. Before this happened, we go back a few plagues, there was, they were seeing that. Uh, Psalm 135, verse 19 says, he sent signs and wonders among you, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his subjects. So if we go back a few chapters and you start reading in there, there is a time when Egypt was receiving revelation. They were seeing miracles, um, but still it didn't produce any faith in Adonai. They were, had hard hearts. Um, when the plague started, there probably were some Egyptians that did see the light that did get it, and people from other nations that did sort of recognize something's going on here. These uh, Israelites, this is their God, and i got to figure out a way to get with the program. These people, these enlightened people from Egypt and the nations, would be, uh, they would compromise the mixed multitude that ends up leaving with the Israelites um, after the plagues are done. But most of the Egyptians who experienced the miracles, and which are the plagues, they're miracles in and of themselves, they didn't respond in a positive way. It produced no faith. So Adonai strengthened them. 
he strengthened their resolve, and he strengthened their desire for rebellion. So when it's time for redemption, the seas split. Um, those who rebelled were in darkness. Those who had faith were in light. After crossing the sea, Moshe and the children of Israel broke out into song. And what happens next is hard to understand because it seems um, that their faith, the amount of faith that they had should just be ratcheted right up there. They've been freed from, is, freed from Egypt. They just saw the sea split in front of them. They get across. The Egyptians are all killed by the waters. They sing this wonderful song of Moses. Um, you talk about being on top of the world. That's got to be a great feeling. Only three days later, we get Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. Turn over a page or two. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. This is three days after the splitting of the Red Sea. Only three days later, Moshe led Israel onward from the Sea of Suf. They went out into the Shur Desert, but after traveling three days in the desert, they found no water. They arrived at Marah, but couldn't drink the water there because it was bitter. This is why they called it Marah. The people grumbled against Moshe and asked, what are we to drink? Moshe cried to Adonai, and Adonai showed him a certain piece of wood, which he, when he threw it into the water, made the water taste good. There, Adonai made laws and rules of life for them, and there he tested them. I mean, they, they lacked faith, which is kind of hard to wrap my head around that a few days later they're already complaining after seeing and experiencing what they've been through. But Adonai puts them to the test, and he's beginning to train them. But they, look, they lose faith pretty quickly again. Um, if you just look a little farther down on the page, chapter 16, verse 1. They traveled on from Elim, and the whole community of the people of Israel arrived in the Sin Desert between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after leaving the land of Egypt. There in the desert, the whole community of the people of Israel grumbled against Moshe and Aharon once again. The people of Israel said to them, we wish Adonai had used this, has used, had used his own hand to kill us off in Egypt. There we used to sit around with pots, with meat boiling, we had much food as we wanted, but you've taken us out here in this whole desert to starve us to death. Again, this is like bashing your head against the wall, trying to figure out how these people can have such a little bit of faith. And so he ends up providing some, um, some manna for them. Um, Makes you wonder. Oh, but they're not done yet. Chapter 17, verse 1, the next page. The whole community of the people of Israel left the scene desert traveling in stages. Does that sound familiar? It's a story, we've read this before. As Adonai had ordered, he camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moshe, demanding, give us water to drink. But Moshe replied, why are you picking a fight with me? Why are you testing Adonai? However, the people were thirsty for water there and grumbled against Moshe for, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Moshe cried out to Adonai, what am I going to do with these people? They're ready to stone me. Adonai answered Moshe, go ahead of the people and bring your leaders, uh, bring with you the leaders of Israel, take your staff in your hand, the one which you used to strike the river and go. I will stand in front of you there on, on the rock in Horeb, and you are to strike the rock, and water will come out of it so the people can drink. Moshe did this in the sight of the leaders of Israel, and the place was named Massah, which is testing, and Mirvah. 
because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested Adonai. Is Adonai with us or not? He's testing the people here. Adonai is training them. You know, they had faith at one time, which was nice, but once life's troubles showed up, their faith was weakened over and over. There's a couple things going on here. When you go back and read these stories, you'll see that he's giving them little bits of uh, mitzvahs, little bits of Torah here and there he's beginning to sprinkle in. They're getting Shabbat, they're getting rules about manna, and they're getting other mitzvot and Torah, it says in the Hebrew. So there's two things. Number one, he's testing them, and this is meant to sort of train people to have faith in him or go back to him. He's also giving them some mitzvot and some Torah, little bits and pieces of it. This is meant to be a source of contemplation, study, and action in their life. This also cultivates faith. He's training the people to have faith because faith sometimes is hard when we're human beings and we have emotions and we're happy or then we're very sad. Um, You know how our emotions go up and down. That's just how life is. We're just human creatures. But when your faith is like that, that's not a good thing. Your faith has to be a little more even keel. That's why he's providing them with Torah. Torah will help stabilize faith, right? It helps to stabilize your life a little bit when life happens. That's why he's starting to give it to them now because they need it right now. And so when we turn, when we think about needing to strengthen our faith, it's we, we need to get back to that foundation. Because when the second exodus begins, we're going to need it because it's going to be, um, as we all know, much more uh, powerful than the first one. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. It's on page 1255. A little bit of a peek at the second exodus here, what we can expect. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 4. Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 reads as follows. Yeshua replied, watch out, don't let anyone fool you, for many will come in my name saying I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. You will hear the noise of wars nearby and the news of wars far off. See to it that you don't become frightened, such things must happen, but the end is yet to come. For peoples will fight with each other, nations will fight with each other, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various parts of the world, and all this is the beginning of the uh, birth pains. At that time, you'll be arrested and handed over to be punished and put to death. And all the peoples will hate you because of me. Much of this is happening right now. At that time, many will be uh, trapped into betraying and hating each other. Many false prophets will appear and fool many people. And many people's love will grow cold because of the increased distance from Torah. Again, we see that happening right now. But whoever holds out till the end will be delivered. Now we're getting getting to the end here. That's the second exodus is going to kick off. And the good news, and this good news about the kingdom will be announced throughout the whole world as a witness to all the goyim. It is then that the end will come. The good news that has to spread throughout the whole world to all the goyim is something that we're very close to. It was a month or two ago I went to Cornerstone Um, church, um, which is south of here, 84th and Kalamazoo. And uh, one of the guys that I had met there in their Torah club on Tuesday night works with, uh, he translates the Bible into all these exotic languages. He says there's about 100 people groups left um, that don't have the Bible in their language, exotic languages. 
And he says their goal is to have uh, the last of those peoples reached by the year 2033. That's in about 10 years. They set that goal because, you know, Yeshua, 33, right? That's 10 years from now. 10 years from now that everyone on this planet will have heard the good news and have a copy of it in their hands. Are we ready for that? Because even though the good news is spread throughout the whole world, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 speaks of an apostasy, a falling away from the faith, and a lawless one, right, that performs signs and miracles. And um, if you know your Torah, you will recognize these miracles and might not be fooled by them. Much of what you will happen will be similar to the things we read in the Torah and the prophets, again, just on a cosmic scale. You have to have strong faith, then you will recognize those signs. If you're studying Torah and applying this to your life, your faith will be strengthened. Revelation 13 speaks of a beast who looks slain, has a fatal wound that heals, and the world is amazed. Again, people with a strong faith won't be fooled by the beast. People who have a weak foundation in the word will easily be amazed at such things. This is very important because at the end, it just gets really crazy. You have to have strong faith. My last scripture reading I have this morning, we're going to finish this off in Revelation chapter 17 just for a little emphasis. We have to be heading into this with a mind that's saturated with Torah because when you get to these, uh, these end times and they're coming, Sooner or later, maybe sooner than later. Revelation 17 is on page 1548. I'm actually going to be reading it out of a different version. And I'll tell you why. It's, uh, this version uses the word prostitute. Babel, the great uh, mother of prostitutes. I just think that captures the essence of the thought better because what does a prostitute do? She exchanges money and return for her services. And when you think about the beast system, you think about all that evil, it's corruption, there's evil, there's money and greed. It's all kind of wrapped up in there. So I kind of, I like the verbiage of uh, the uh, Tree of Life version, but they're pretty close. Revelation 17, verse 1, Then one of the seven angels holding the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come, I will show you the sentencing of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The earth's kings committed sexual immorality with her, and those who dwell on the earth got drunk with the wine of her immorality. So he carried me away in the Ruach, the spirit, into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She was holding a golden cup in her hand, full of detestable things and the filth of her immorality, and on her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the detestable things of the earth. And then I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the Kedushim, and with the blood of the witnesses of Yeshua, when I saw her, I was totally astounded. But the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and yet is about to rise up from the abyss and head for destruction. 
those who dwell on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast because he was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind having wisdom. What is wisdom? Of course, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You want a healthy fear of the Lord, you better be getting in the Torah. This calls for a mind having wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. That beast was and is not. He himself is the eighth and is one of the seven and is heading for destruction. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These kings are of one mind, and they give their power and authority to the beast. United Nations, they will overcome the war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Amen and amen to that. This is how it is going to end. No matter what, they are going to come against the lamb. Of course, they're going to come against us, and if our lives are taken, their lives are taken. But when they come against the Lamb, that is the end of the second exodus, because the Lamb is going to defeat the enemy. Our king will rule over his kingdom, and we will experience peace and wholeness under his rule. The world might see the signs and be amazed. We won't. The world will see wonders and be led astray. We follow Yeshua. The world might fall away, but we will remain in him. So let's pray that we are faithful, pray we stay diligent in his Torah, and of course, seeking the kingdom in all his ways. I will be praying for you, you pray for me. May he come soon and in our days. Shabbat Shalom.